Please fasten your seatbelts. The skies are rough and our two pilots have no idea where they're going. So kick back, relax, and enjoy your flight on no blackout dates. No blackout dates. No blackout dates. No blackout dates. I'll be like in Calgary and I'm like, man, is Calgary the Denver of Canada? I think that maybe it is. And then I'm like, what the hell am I talking about? The past two years have given me a lot of time to reflect on why I travel and like what I try to get out of travel and the values that I place um, on myself as a traveler. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another week of No Blackout Dates. My name is Tim, and I am not joined by Evan this week because he's out on a film shoot in Saudi Arabia. So for Hot Takes, we are joined by none other than our first guest of all time on this show, Melanie Sutrathada. She will be popping some questions and rocking some answers. And in today's interview segment, we have nobody other than the legendary travel writer Sebastian Modak, former New York Times 52 Places Traveler current editor-at-large at Lonely Planet, and a guy who has a byline in pretty much every major travel pub across the spectrum. We're going to get into all things 52 places. We're going to be chatting travel trends. We're going to be chatting over tourism. We're going to be chatting all kinds of personal, intimate details about the emotions surrounding global travel, particularly when you're by yourself. Uh, and we're also going to be sharing a little bit of funny tidbits along the way. So stick around for that. It's a great interview. Sebastian's a great dude, and we're honored to have him. But first, we're going to get into hot takes and we'll see you guys on the other side. Oh, you know I always have questions. But first of all, thank you so much for having me. You know I love being here, especially when Evan isn't. Like, oh, who needs him and his amazingness? Gross. Okay. Right. So I, I'd like to call the- out before we start that <laughs> this is the first No Blackout Dates episode that Evan has not been on ever. Evan. All right. So, <laughs> Tim, we have to dive in. I was on the plane. I was on a plane recently, and the first thing a guy did next to me is he took his shoes off. He was not even wearing socks. He literally took his shoes off and just started rubbing his feet through the carpet. On like, just ew. Why? Yes. No. What do you think? I I think I should have just opened the door and like pushed him out of the plane. Disgusting. Right. Yeah. That's definitely a hard no on the barefoot plane action. Uh, you know, it's funny. We had a, a flight attendant on quite a while ago on the show, and she brought that up, that that is one of her biggest pet peeves ever is when people that are barefoot take their shoes off. I, I have to admit, I have taken my shoes off on long-haul overnight flights only when wearing socks and really only when I'm, like, trying to sleep. That is the one exception, Tim. The one when you're, if you have a 20-hour flight, all right, do what you want. But, sir, we're going to Miami from New York City. There's no reason for you to not be wearing shoes, one, and two, not be wearing socks. You're disgusting. Right, you're going to New York in winter. Gross. What are you, there's so much about his judgment that I am not here for. Yeah, well, that's a hard no. I'm sorry (laughs) that you had to sit next to that person. It's funny because if you were to have a conversation with this person while you were on the plane, and I don't know whether or not you did, but if you did, of course you're just going to keep, you keep like looking at his feet and you'd have to think that he'd be getting self-conscious of it. I would hope so. I mean, to be fair, some people love feet. I am not one of those people. Okay. So thoughts. Okay. So my question is, I've been thinking about doing a big girls trip for a friend's bachelorette party. What are your thoughts on one person taking all the tickets and buying them under one name, you know, one same card versus everybody buying their tickets individually? 
This is a situation where it's worth signing up for a new travel rewards card with a minimum spend bonus where you'll, you know, you'll buy all these tickets and all of a sudden have like over 100,000 points because not only will you get the points for the purchase you make, but you'll get the bonus because you'll hit the like $3,000 minimum spend. Tim, I forgot that you like know all the travel hacks for this because I have I have a card that I love, but for me, one of the things that I, I never really focus on points, which I feel like now might be a waste of my money, like or my time because I'm already make, spending the money. Should I be doing this? If it's a rewards card, I mean, I, I don't advocate for like building everything around points and I only use my rewards card every time I spend money. I'm, I'm not into it like that, but I... I do think there's a benefit to be had with points if you play it the right way like for example uh when my daughter was born we you know we had a massive hospital bill of several thousand dollars i applied for a new travel rewards card put the bill on there and then have all these points and you know if you know we're fortunate to be able to pay that off you know but because we saved but the, the, the ability to do that is I just basically got $800 back. Well, so my hesitation with, my thought was, okay, yeah, I'll, you know, I'm happy to just pay for everybody's things on points and, you know, everybody Venmo me. But my my only, the hesitation for me is a lot of people are will say like, oh, I'm going to catch a different flight or, oh, I need to change this last minute or, oh, I forgot this thing or, you know, I want to put my TSA number. And then, you, like, what if people don't actually Venmo you and now you're out of this money or if people cancel, then you have to go back. You're responsible for calling the airline and getting that stuff back. I don't want to be responsible for people, but I do want the points. That has been one of my concerns, even with Uber, where I'm like, you know, you ha your friend has a little too much to drink and somehow loses her phone or something happens. So then you put them in an Uber and it's your account. I've had friends throw up in the backseat of a car and I'm like, I hate you. Yes. <laughs> and they don't even remember this. And now you're stuck with a fee and then they can rate you lower. All right. I, I think I'm I think I'm just going to forgo the points because I can't handle this type of stress. All right, thanks, Melanie, for joining us for Hot Takes. And with that, we'll get into it with Sebastian. Sebastian Modak is a multimedia journalist, world traveler, and currently the editor-at-large at Lonely Planet. Previously, and to much acclaim, was the New York Times 52 Places traveler, visiting each of the spots on the 2019 52 Places to Visit list. He's written for everybody from Condé Nast Traveler to the Washington Post to BBC Travel, and in his spare time, he even appears on podcasts where he's relentlessly probed about his incredible journey. Sebastian, welcome to No Blackout Dates. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Psyched to be here. Right on. So uh, let's pop into it right away with talking about travel trends. I know that uh, you guys did a big list of what's going on this year, where to travel, and why, and I'm curious. Uh, we're coming into a time where travel is never going to be like it was before. What are you seeing as the major trends coming into the summer of 2022 when people are getting out there? Man, I mean, any predictions go out the window immediately in this day and age, right? So I don't want to be the one saying like, oh, it's coming back full swing. We're all going to Portugal or something. And then right. tomorrow there's going to be something that prevents us all going anywhere. Um, I mean, in general, I think, you know, the, the release that you were referring to is our best in travel list. And I think the Lonely Planet Blessed and Travel List. And I think this year was unlike any other in that, you know, we were putting places on the list that like it was unclear whether people were going to be able to really get on a plane and go um, as soon as the list came out. But it really just became more of like a celebration of travel and like the reasons why we travel and looking at like 
I don't know, more of the universals that we get out of travel versus like, you need to go to this place and do this exact thing. It was more like, here's a reason to celebrate the country of Nepal and the people of Nepal and like for one day, maybe give you some inspiration to head out there, even if it's not tomorrow. So in terms of like how that reflects current trends, I mean, one, we had a big push on sustainability and inclusion and things like that, which I think are more and more front of mind for travelers, um, thankfully. Um, but I also think, I don't know, I think, you know, may, maybe maybe you're different, but for me at least, the past two years have given me a lot of time to reflect on why I travel and like what I try to get out of travel and the values that I place um, on myself as a traveler or the pressures that I put on myself as a traveler. And I think a lot of people have done that, which I think means we're all gonna be traveling a little slower, a little more intentionally, if only because it's such a pain to do it. Um, maybe we'll think a little bit more about it before we do it and maybe we'll be able to get more out of it um, and give give back a little bit. So I think that really reflected in our list too. We were trying to find places and experiences and like I put an emphasis on experiences because we're very much moving away from the idea of you've got a list of things to check off. It's more like here's a way to really immerse yourself. Here's a place where you really can immerse yourself um, and here's how to do it in a way that's... Uh, perhaps unlike your style of travel before this. So I think hopefully we were reflecting this this new zeitgeist of just traveling a little more thoughtfully going forward. Right. Um, I think so. And I'm, I want to hone back in a little bit on what you noted about sustainability because there is a lot of criticism that comes to travel, you know, regarding flights, emissions. But I, I'm inspired by, there's a pro snowboarder named Jeremy Jones who, when asked about this, said that, you know, you can only respect the earth so much by remaining in your own backyard by venturing out you gain the understanding of why these things are so important to protect and travel is the way to do that and i'm i'm curious your reaction to a quote like that and to how you try to emphasize that in your own travel yeah it's a good way of putting it i hadn't heard that quote before um i mean the short answer is there's no easy answer right mm -hmm. i think like especially as someone who is a frequent traveler if I start saying, oh, but, you know, I can become an ambassador for climate change. I can see it up close and spread the word. I can encourage sustainable practices. It sounds like I'm being defensive, right? right? It sounds like I'm trying to, like, come up with an excuse for me to travel. Now, if I go on the other end of things and say, like, no, we should all stay at home because travel is so destructive to the world. I think that's how you get, you know, the trends of xenophobia and isolation and everything else that we've seen over the past few years around the world. I think intercultural connection, um, seeing things that are unfamiliar to you, eating things that are unfamiliar to you, hearing languages that are unfamiliar, are just like all part of what makes us human and what makes us better, more empathetic humans. And I think without that, um, the world would be a pretty tough place. And I think it's about striking that balance. I don't think I've figured it out. I don't think anyone has. Um, but I think it does go back to the point I was making earlier that if we are a little bit more intentional about how we spend our money, about where we go, maybe we're not like doing the like flying by the seat of our pants trip. Maybe we're thinking a little bit more about it before we go and and where we're staying and who we're interacting with and how we're interacting with it. Um, then I think maybe the balance kind of it balances out and you, you kind of there's no way to quantify. Right. There's, there's, it's easy to quantify the amount of fuel you're burning on a flight over it's much harder to quantify the effect you're having on the world and the effect the world is having on you right so there's never going to be an easy answer but i think it is a north star we can kind of move work towards in terms of finding that equilibrium and, and feeling better about how we travel 
Yeah, for sure. And I think there's something to be said about one benefit people take out of international travel and visiting places where the culture and the lifestyle are very different than what they're used to is that it kind of prompts you to not only go and learn and try to figure out what's going on, but also to be putting money into places, to not be staying at the chain hotel near the airport, but to go into the place, mm -hmm. stay in somebody's house if they invite you in, or you know, stay in the local bed and breakfast and, and actually talk to people. Because people is the most beautiful thing of travel, right? Is, is, is connecting with people and hearing their story and sharing your story with them and then taking their life experience and bringing it back home to you, you know, to your home. You, you could talk about sustainability all day long, but you can't replace human connection. I 100% agree, so. and I think you know that's all my greatest travel experiences have involved making those connections. And I think uh, if we all did that a little more, including myself, um, maybe we'd get along a little better. <laughs> right, right, and it's. You know, for better or worse, that kind of leads into the next question here about over tourism here. You know, you hear all kinds of stuff about sites, about cities, you know, Rome, all these places that have been flogged with tourists for years. I'm curious your thoughts on blame and on solutions. Is this a destination marketing issue or is it a, a factor of people not being considerate? Man, I love loving these questions. We're just like coming in hot with the with the big ish, big ticket issues around yeah, travel. Yeah. I love it. Um, yeah, in terms of over tourism, I don't think you can blame the traveler. I think travelers are going to go where they think is worth their money, where they think they're going to have the best experience. Um, I mean, I think you blame us, people like us, travel journalists. You blame people right. uh you know the world of travel influencers and social media you blame yeah sure dmos who maybe are pushing the same destinations because they're easy to sell um you know there's a lot of players that contribute to these places being overrun uh i think it's our responsibility as travel storytellers and people who maybe can sway some people's decisions to spread the love a little bit to maybe talk about how also to tell stories about how these tourists, like over tourism is affecting local communities, how Venetians can't afford rent anymore because of the amount of people who come into Venice and and because of Airbnbs that are being rented in, in Venice. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I've, you know, I, and I know we'll, we'll get into the 52 places trip later, but that was really a awakening for me in a lot of ways. Um, because I was going to so many places in so little time, I didn't have the flexibility to say i'm going to go to this place at the best time of year i'm going to go to right. south of spain in winter to escape the summer sun or whatever like I, I didn't have that or the winter you know to have some winter sun i didn't have that that luxury i had to go to places you know i had to be in senegal at the hottest most humid rainiest time of year i had to be in canada in the middle of winter like all these things and one of the one of my main takeaways when i came away from all of that was that our idea of like high season and low season and the best time to go is a load of BS. It's all marketing. Right. There's in fact going at a place, going at going to a place where when it's the, the quote unquote wrong time to go can be one of the most rewarding experiences you can have while traveling because that's when you really get to know people. People are curious what you're doing there. You're not just one of a horde of tourists. Um, and again, you have that that in. Okay, maybe the weather's not as great as it would be, but like put on a raincoat and go outside and meet some people like it's it's not it's it's just as rewarding so things like that like reorienting how we think about seasons and what that means for travel 
reorienting how we think about destinations. We don't need to all go to the same places, especially when you're talking about a country like Italy or a country like France. Why are we all going to the same places that those countries are just full of beautiful, enriching, incredible experiences? We need to spread the love a little bit. And I think also it comes down to how we tell the stories. If, we, if, if our storytelling starts and ends with a beautiful, oversaturated image on Instagram, and we say, hey, this is it. Everyone's going to go and try to get that same experience and take that image, right? Because that is the like platonic idea of paradise, right? A, a bright blue water beach and white sand or whatever else. But if we be more specific about our telling, we're saying this is the right place for this kind of person um, for this reason. Maybe it's a little rough around the edges, but if you're into this specific hobby, this is the place for you. It's not going to appeal to everyone. It's going to appeal to a narrower band of travelers. And if we're more specific about how we tell stories, about how we spread stories about travel, we're not all going to end up in the same place because we're going to be looking for things that appeal to us most directly. And I think that's just the nature of traveling and how we are segmented. We're not all the same. And if we speak to, to each other in a way that's like, this is perfect for you for this reason versus this is Bali. It's incredible. Everyone go to Bali. The end. You know, it's not... Yeah, it's it's it, it. You lack all the nuance, you know. Right, and that's how you end up with the lines of people at like the photo of the wall mural. You got to wait two hours 100%. to take your photo with the mural because one Instagram influencer put that photo up. You know, like that is not travel. Yeah, and I I don't blame the traveler for waiting in that line because they've been told that that's what you're supposed to do in that place. Yeah. So I think it's yeah. really about they, changing the narrative in that sense. Well, and it's interesting, you know, the, the concept of seasons, you know, so in Colorado, we call it mud season in between spring and summer uh, because the ski season's done, but the summer tourism season hasn't picked up. But in a, in a lot of ways, that's the best time to go because, you know, the trails are drying out. So if you're more of a summer traveler, you can get out on some hikes or some bike rides. It might not be perfect, but you can do mm -hmm. it. There's also still snow in the high country if you want to ski and you're willing to hike a little bit. Like you can do all the same things. It's going to cost you less money. And yeah, you're probably going to have a better experience when you go out to dinner. That I feel day, like that's know? that's what I've heard all over the world. It's like you ask a local and like their best kept secret is that the best time to come is actually when no one else is coming. Right. Right. Um, and right. that's it's kind of a universal in that sense. For sure. Um, so, you know, I was reading and I, I've read a lot of your work that we'll talk about later, but I, I read a particular Condé Nast article where you refer to yourself as a third culture kid. Uh, I'm, I'm curious if you can explain what you mean by that and how you feel that that has shaped your view as a traveler. Yeah, so I grew up essentially without roots in a lot of ways. So my, my mother is from Colombia, my father's from India. Um, I was born in the States, but we left when I was two. And then because of my dad's work, we moved every four years or so. So I was in Hong Kong and then Australia and India. And then I went to high school in Indonesia, um, came to the States for college. And that's, that's mostly where I've been since. But uh, the term third culture kid was something I learned about while essentially being a third culture kid in, in, in an international school. Um, they used to talk about it a lot as a way to give these sort of anchorless kids some some sense of identity to grab onto um and it's essentially you know people who grew up between cultures the culture of their parents the culture of the place where they happen to be living at the time and the third culture of that shared identity that you share with other people who have had that same lived experience moving around um and it's it was an incredibly charmed privileged existence to live that way i think you know i to have that 
access to cultures that weren't my own to be brought up at such a young age to put so much value on respecting other cultures and learning from other cultures and admitting your own ignorance of other cultures and, and being willing to learn. I think that was instilled from a very young age, as was the joy of travel and, and the meaning of travel, that it's not just an extractive business about you just going and trying to make yourself a better person and leaving. It's about exchange and about conversations and about um, connection. So all those things were instilled from a from a very young age. I think the flip side was, you know, I never had that concept of home and going back home and it's still up in the air. My parents continue to move. Um, and I don't feel necessarily super connected to my to India or Colombia either. So all of that directly contributed to what I do for a living, for sure. Um, I think I always knew I was going to be involved with something that connected me to, to the world, to the outside world. Um, didn't know what that was going to be until until I fell into travel writing and travel storytelling um, but that that was always very clear and then also I think it like you know helps in some ways it hinders in others so, you know it's very hard for me to stay in the same place it's very hard for me to put down roots um, but in terms of travel storytelling I think one of the biggest benefits has been the lack of reference points you know I think you see mm. I mean you've probably seen it before right that classic travel writing trope of like this neighborhood in Amsterdam is the Brooklyn of Amsterdam. Like what the hell does right. that mean to someone who doesn't have yeah, that Brooklyn that? as a reference point. Right. Um, and I think I have just naturally avoid things like that just because I don't have those reference points to begin with. I'm starting from scratch wherever I am. I always have, and I always will. And I think good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> starting from zero, starting with like a blank, blank notebook in my brain um, means I have a lot of work to do wherever I am but I think it also means that I kind of naturally just ask the right questions and it starts with admitting that no matter how much I think I know about anywhere including New York City including about the United States I don't know anything compared to yeah. someone who's really lived it so it's my job to listen and learn and and hopefully transmit those stories to more people but it's not my job to go in and say I'm now the authority of this place you know yeah, I find myself when I'm when I'm traveling sometimes like I'll I'll be like in Calgary and I'm like, man, is Calgary the Denver of Canada? I think that maybe <laughs> it is. And then I'm like, what the hell am I talking about? Like that right. doesn't even make any sense. Right. I mean, maybe it makes sense to you personally and you can keep it in your head yeah. and use it as a reference point, but like when you start communicating that to others, when you start thinking of the whole world that way, then then you're going to run into to shortcomings along the way. Right, for sure. It's it's like uh, it's like using the term hidden gems. We have a yeah. blanket policy of removing that term from every story uh, if, if a contributor sends it in. You know, great so great policy to no follow. Go. Yeah. Uh, so, moving into the New York Times fifty two places experience, uh, I'm sure we could talk for weeks about the experience of that, and there's not enough time to cover it all. But I think one thing that stood out to me reading your, your columns, I think I read all of yours and all of Jada's, and it was fascinating to me to pick out subtle differences in how you two, you know, kind of perceived places and told those stories. Uh, and I'm, I'm curious what stood out to you that allowed you to turn around a story on a completely different place on a weekly basis. Like, did you have anything that you fell back on? Like, okay, I can start with this and then build on it. Pressure and exhaustion, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you Good know, sure. just being burnt out for a full year. Um, there was no choice but to file, so I had to come up with something. No, I think 
my approach, and it's kind of my approach to, to travel in general, is for the for, for 52 places specifically was, you know, I was going to a lot of places where one, I didn't have time to become even close to an authority on the place, right? If I'm spending five days, I'm exhausted, I'm jet lagged, you know, um, I have to finish up the story from the last place before I start reporting the next place, you know. Um, and, you know, that, that I, I came in with that, with that thinking. And two, I was going to a lot of places that a lot of people were never going to go to, right? Right. And I was in Siberia. I was in the Falkland Islands. I was in the middle of nowhere, Ontario, like looking at ice caves. I mean, these places are really remote. And I had to find reasons for people to read it, um, even if they weren't going to go. And I think that's really what drove me. It was, I was always on the lookout for universals things that could resonate with readers beyond the people who might go there of course i would try to weave in tips or things that i learned or you know proper nouns places to visit um but that wasn't my priority my priority was to tell stories about the world and to tell stories that i think would resonate with people um to do that i really had to just go in again with that open book open mind mentality and see what would happen um I mean, there were definitely circumstances where I'd be hitting day four of six and I'm sitting there being like, I have no idea what the story is here. I mean, Las Vegas was on the list. And I, I mean, first of all, I went in there with the wrong mindset because I, re- I already was like, I've never been to Las Vegas. I don't like Las Vegas, which was the wrong mindset to enter anywhere. Um, but also by day four or something, I was sitting there being like, I've got nothing. I've got nothing new to say about this place. Um, I feel like it's all very surface level. There's nothing to see here. And then I was in the back of a, of a lift or something. And I was talking to the driver. Um, I'd maybe had a couple of drinks. So I was like a little loosened up. Um, and we were talking and he was asking what I was doing here. And I was explaining my job. Um, and I was like, listen, man, I don't mean to offend because you're from here. This, this guy was like born and raised in Vegas. Um, I was like, I got nothing. I got nothing to say about your town from where you're from. Like, nothing good, at least. Yeah, fill me in um, here. Fill me in, man. Give me something to work with. And and he was he was like, you know, I, I see that I'm taking you to your hotel, but uh, is it cool, actually, if I could go introduce you to some of my friends? I'm like, this is my last ride of the night. We can go hang out. And I was like, okay, sure, whatever. And so he takes me to this neighborhood called Paradise Palms where it's all these people who live in these model houses from the 1950s and they like dress like it's the 1950s and they play in rockabilly bands and they spin vinyl music and they're just like this time portal um and i ended up spending the next three days with them and just seeing this whole other side of vegas that leans so heavily into nostalgia and hanging out in these old dive bars and going to these diners at three in the morning and i was just like oh this is what i was missing here's the story and it became a story not only about that community and that side to Vegas, but also about being open to experiences. And I was, you know, that's just an example of being in a situation where I was like, I need to find something that's going to appeal to people who are going to see a headline about Vegas and be like, nah. So I, I found a story about being open to experiences and open to to, to stories. Um, and uh, yeah, just an example of how how the reporting often went, where it was two or three days of freaking out, two or three days of having the best time of my life. <laughs> right. 
that that's crazy man but even particularly with vegas you know like people will say get off the strip and that usually just means like go to fremont street or something right. like that like right. that but nobody go nobody knows anything like i've been to vegas three times i know nothing about vegas beyond like a square made square mile radius of like a mile and a half probably mm-hmm. you know like yeah which is why i felt so lucky to like get this glimpse and that happened again and again in places and it was just about putting myself out there and it's you know i fully acknowledge as well you talk about Jada's trip as well. Um, the things that I was able to do that I think were much harder for Jada as a woman traveling alone to do, mm-hmm. and it's it's just a sad truth of of the world. But you know, I was able to like a, an Uber driver saying like or a Lyft driver saying, uh, "I'm not going to drop you at home. I can take you to my friend's house instead." That's yeah. not something that that I'd advise a woman traveling alone to necessarily say yes to. Of course, it, everyone has their own threshold of risk. Um, but I personally just felt more comfortable as a, you know, straight dude traveling around the world to say yes to things like that. Um, yeah. Where I think a lot of people, depending on their identity, uh, would have to think twice. And it's just, it just sucks that that's the case, but that yeah. is the case. And, you know, that's one thing that I thought stood out about your dispatches was... The fact that you, on multiple occasions, were forthcoming about, you know, I had a couple of drinks and then went to this guy's house, where <laughs> where you, you never saw that in Jada's stories. You saw a lot of different perspectives and very immersive experiences from her, but there was definitely a different approach. And identity plays out in other ways, too. I mean, I, I get the question a lot, you know, um, when I was traveling, I got the question a lot. People would message me on Instagram, be like, oh, it looks like you're having a great time, but but is it safe? And that would be a question that I'd often right. get predictably in Latin America, in sub-Saharan Africa, in parts of Asia. No one asked me that when I was traveling around the U.S. or Europe or, or Australia. But, you know, and I tell this story a lot, I, the, the only time I felt really, really unsafe over the whole trip was in Australia when I was tailed and yelled at by a couple of racist dudes um, who followed me in their car and started yelling... Uh, racial slurs at me so it just it just goes to show that safety is not a blanket term identity is identity is it's so dependent on on your outward facing identity um people can have drastically different travel experiences i mean the places you know when i was in tunisia people are messaging me being like oh it looks amazing but is it safe everyone thought i was tunisian in tunisia i blend right in people right. were uh, right, people right. like someone came up to me and asked me for directions at one point in like rapid fire arabic <laughs> and i was like man i can't help and she looks so confused when i started speaking english um and those things happen so it just goes to show like you can't make these generalizations about travel and it's it's i, I tried to be and i think jada did this too um we tried to be as transparent as possible in saying like this was my experience. This is what I was able to do, and I decided to do. Um, it's not going to be the same for you. It's not going to be the same for everyone. Um, it's just important to be transparent about those things. I think. Being on the road by yourself for a year, you noted multiple times, you know, discussions you had with your partner, um, feelings surrounding being gone all the time. I'm curious how you would advise somebody who might be embarking on a year away from. A partner or a, a very close family member anything like that how do you kind of soften that blunt a little bit yeah I mean it's gonna hurt at times um, I think what I had to learn was because I'm also I'm a very extroverted person I've never lived alone right I've always either lived with family or roommates or now my partner um, so 
it was tough for me. And I think, you know, I tell this, I wrote about this and I tell this story, but I remember it hit me really hard in Wyoming, of all places. Um, I was driving just one of those like straight Wyoming ro- roads that just goes on forever. Wasn't a single yeah, car around. Windy, yeah, man. so it wasn't a single car around. Just like snow, it was. A, it was February or something. It was right at the beginning of the trip. Um, snow fields on either side of me, as far as the eye can see, just completely desolate. Um, and uh, this John Prine song came on, uh, "Summer's End," which the chorus is literally like, "Come on home, come on home. You don't have to be alone." And I was just driving like hour six of this drive. And I just pulled over and I was just like overcome. I just started crying in the car um, and got through it, whatever. And I came out the other side and I was like, you know, that was weird. That like felt good. It felt like I felt human, you know? And I think I think I just learned to really lean into, like I could see the loneliness coming. I could see the feelings coming and I would just lean into it. I would feel it. I'd be like, wow, that that was an emotion. <laughs> like that, that's, that was powerful. Mm-hmm. And then... One, it made me learn the difference between that feeling and the bliss that can come out of solitude too, right? Because the flip side of that coin was like standing on a fjord in Norway, no one else around, like literally screaming into the abyss and there's no one around to hear me. Like that that was one of the most exhilarating feelings I've had. Um, also alone. Right. So I was able to tell the difference between those two things. And I think that, that was one thing I learned. Um, but then it also made all those instances I talked about where I connected with strangers and had these life affirming experiences with other people, it threw those into relief because I had something to compare it to. I could say, man, yesterday I was down in the dumps. I was sad. I missed everyone. And today I'm surrounded by new friends in Aberdeen, Scotland, and we're having a great time and we're going on a road trip tomorrow just because we get along. How cool is this? And so I think my advice to someone going through that would be obviously stay in touch with with your people as much as you can and i was lucky to be able to do that and my partner came out to three of the spots during the 52 places and i saw because of my upbringing i've i met a lot of people i mean a lot of my friends that i grew up with are now scattered around the world so i was able to see friends along the way and that was kind of a taste of home so if you can find those things um do that but my other advice would be to to not be afraid of feeling sad once in a while, to, to lean into it because it's gonna make the feelings of happiness stand out even more. Um, and, you know, explore the good things that can come out of be alone, being alone, you know? Find the, the flip side to, to loneliness, which I think is solitude and, and the peace that can come from solitude. And um, I think I've become a more well-rounded person through those learnings. Uh, and like so much in travel, there's so much you can learn from traveling. And for me, one of the biggest lessons of doing it alone was that I'm okay being alone once in a while. So I think by, yeah. by throwing yourself into the deep end a little bit, and of course, everyone's going to have their own ways to deal with this. Everyone comes with their own you know, background with, with this. But for me, it was, it, it was an important life lesson for me to just, to just do that and to feel that and to feel those emotions and lean into them and come out the other side, I think more well-rounded and more prepared. Right on. Yeah, that's, that's great. I, I think that, um, what you just said about becoming okay with being alone some of the time is one of the most powerful lessons of travel, Mm -hmm. because I think it's, it's impossible to go to a place that's so different and a series of places even more so 
without having to reflect back on y- yourself and uh, how you are living and how you are perceiving the world and how the world is perceiving you. I think that that is an irreplaceable positive of travel. Like, you know, like if you look at the world as like a blank map, mm-hmm. right? And the more you go and the more you experience and learn, the more that map becomes filled in. And while you're gaining in knowledge, you're like losing in, I don't know if ego is the right term, but you're losing in your perception that that the lifestyle that you live is the way that it's supposed to be. Yeah, no, and I think, and when I say being alone, I mean really being alone. I mean like not, I'm, I'm right. podcast, so can't, no one can see this, but I'm holding up my phone right now. Like this thing often doesn't count as being alone because it's so easy to connect with people through it. And you can, if you're, you can just scroll Instagram and feel like you have friends. Um, so it was really important for me too during that trip, and I still do this now on, my, on, on all of my travels, including ones for work, is to put the phone away for even for an hour two hours, go for a walk without looking at your phone, without carrying your camera, just being there and being alone there and feeling what that's like and and sitting down, ordering a coffee, watching the world pass you by alone, but really just watching it, not not staring into your phone. The phone's going to be there. Google Maps will be there once you're lost and need to find your way back to the hotel, but get lost. Go on your own, get lost, observe the world, know what it's like to feel alone and, and with nothing to do because it's 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 a really amazing feeling and it's so rare these days um, because we're constantly surrounded by the noise of either our work or social media or whatever else so travel really does give you the opportunity to be truly alone in a place that you don't know in an unfamiliar place and I think that's so special and it's one of the reasons um, why I'm try to be really diligent about giving myself just that one hour, two hours, that one walk through the city where I'm not, I'm, I'm, I am truly, truly alone. For sure. Well, that's great, man. I, I think that's a great way to wind us down here. I want to ask you one more thing before we close out. Uh, what still excites you about travel the more well-traveled you become? It's the people. And I think it's the fact that you can go back to the same place twice and have two completely different experiences. And it's the answer to that is going to come down to the people. That's why they're different. And I think that goes to show one, it's not about ticking every country off your list because of course you're going to find diverse experiences in different countries. Um, but, but two, I also think it shows you can, you can really go back to the same places. You can go to your own backyard. You can go to the town over, you can ride your bike as far as you can and, crash somewhere for the night and meet someone at the at the local cafe you can do all these things that are within the realm of possibility that don't require huge amounts of money or huge amounts of time and still tap in to that same magic of travel that gets us onto planes to fly across the world um and i think more and more we're realizing that i think this last two years if there's any silver lining of the trash fire that the last two years has been it's been that we are putting value on those things we're putting value on local travel we're putting value on creating connections with strangers closer to home and exploring the magic that can be found closer to home. So I think that's what excites me is that every time I go to anywhere, whether it's out into into my own city or to a place I've been 10 times, I can have a different experience thanks to people and the, the encounters that I have with those people. Awesome. 
Sebastian Modak, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people follow along with your journey? I am uh, at Seb Modak, S-E-B-M-O-D-A-K, on all things, basically, Twitter, Instagram, you name it. Um, and that's probably the best place to see what's new. Cool. Right on. Well, thank you so much for joining us, All right. Man. Thank you, man. Thank you for listening to another episode of No Blackout Dates. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Throw us a review. Let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, thank you to our producer, Alex Halke, executive producer, Katie Hetrick, Kelsey Wilking, Matador Network's email guru, the rest of the Matador crew for putting up with us on a daily basis. If you'd like to follow us, I'm at TimWanger1 on Instagram. Evan is at EvanFlow underscore. We'll see you next week.